Welcome to the Indigenous United podcast, a production of the Native American Student Development Office at UC Berkeley. This is a podcast about issues important to us as Indigenous students at UC Berkeley. We would like to recognize that Berkeley sits on the territory of Huchin, the ancestral and unceded land of the Chichenyo Ohlone, the successors of the historic and sovereign Verona Band of Alameda County. Welcome to a new season of Indigenous United. We have a new member that we are really excited to introduce to y'all. Hi, everyone. My name is Sierra. I'm a third-year student in the Ethnic Studies Department studying Indigenous and Native culture and sound currently. And I'm originally from Durango, Colorado. And for my Diné relatives, I'm going to introduce myself really quickly. And I'm really excited to be on the team. Yay! Your Navajo sounds so good, Sierra. Not that I am Navajo and like, no, but it sounded good to me. Thank you. <laughs> and just to reintroduce myself for any new listeners, my name is Atea Sespooch. I'm a third year PhD student in environmental science policy and management. And I've also been working with my language. So I'll quickly introduce myself in Northern Ute. Mike, Nunainia Atea Sespooch, Nunainia Iokopiwa Koshke, Nunaipi Kirihalo, Nunaimu Larry Sespooch. Nuga Waru River, Wok Lakota. So I introduced myself in Northern Ute, but I'm also Assiniboine and Lakota, and I'm enrolled at the Fort Peck Reservation in Montana. Happy to be here for another season. Alexi? Thanks, Atea. Hi, everyone. My name is Alexi. I'm a second year PhD student, also in environmental science policy and management. So it's great that we have someone from ethnic studies, and we're so happy to have Sierra on. Uh, I'm a member of the Amamutsun Tribal Band, and I'm really excited to be recording these podcasts. How is how is y'all summer? How are you hanging in there with the craziness right now? Um, I I think that the summer and just this year has been a space for reflection for me to just think about like my positionality as a student at Berkeley, which is also has like colonial legacies of displacing and continuing to up- uphold violent regimes of, upon the native c- communities here. But also like just thinking about the larger picture of like climate um, justice and sort of, yeah, and the visual reminder of like the smoke and just like being in quarantine. I think like we all needed a moment of pause. Yeah, for me, I've just been sort of meditating on what I can do um, and sort of what type of work and uh, for toward like recovery and solidarity that we can do as students now. Yes, yeah, I think it's really interesting uh, some of the how some of the activism uh, during this COVID times has really changed the way we we think about racial justice, environmental justice, and all of that. And for me, you know, I've experienced a bit of isolation and not being able to to be together in community uh, has been difficult sometimes. But at the same time, it seems like people are coming together in a way to to try to push forward new things and. Usually it, it doesn't take place in situations like this where, you know, we can't 
we have to be careful around elders or you have to be careful around family. But it seems like there are some positive things that have been going on this year uh, in light of a lot of terrible, tragic occurrences with the coronavirus and with the murders of a lot of members of the Black community. Yeah, I know one of the positive things that's come out of it for me is that my tribe started doing these language courses. And typically, I wouldn't be able to participate in language classes because they would be in person on the reservation. But because of COVID, we're doing them on Zoom and I'm able to participate. And so I feel like it's nice to be able to connect with community and and family and, you know, do this really important healing work of, of reclaiming the language. And that's been a huge part of my own wellness practice. One good thing out of a rough year. Well, and I guess there's a few more too. Like, weren't you involved, Alexi, with the removal of Unipero Sarah this summer? Oh, yeah. So um, I think the removal of those statues of Unipero Sarah that got toppled or the the ones that got removed out of safety because some of the Catholic parishes were scared that people would, you know, take down these statues of this contested historical figure. Uh, as some of you might know, Junipero Serra founded uh, the California missions, the first nine of them, uh, which led to the deaths of over 100,000 California Indians. And so, you know, he was recently canonized four or five years ago, uh, but many California Indian leaders see him as the leader of a genocide that, you know, took out a lot of indigenous communities in California. And so, uh, Atea, you were also there in Golden Gate Park where we took down one of the Junipero Serra statues. And that was a really interesting time. Uh, people were, you know, trying to make sure that we were safe uh, and distanced, but also were there to, to take down a, a controversial statue and kind of show that this history that has been written by the colonizers is is contested now, you know? Yeah. I know one thing that was really powerful for me about that was, you know, we showed up with just some robes and I was really a little skeptical of whether or not we, we would really be able to take the statue down with just ropes and, and, and human power, but it was actually really easy. And I feel like it was this moment for me where I realized if you have a a collective of individuals that are coming together, you can really change a lot. And yeah, things that you think are impossible definitely aren't with the right amount of people. And the Archbishop uh, of San Francisco performed an exorcism there a few weeks after the removal of the statue. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, it was a really public, uh, you know, that's not really common for people to perform exorcisms in the public uh, for something like taking down a, a genocidal figure. So for me, when I saw that, I, I kind of laughed, but it was real interesting to see that uh, it doesn't seem like the Catholic Church's very receptive to us taking down statues of hollow uh, idols. Yeah. And like listening to you two speak about it makes me think about like the, the symbolic, like what it means symbolically for like our, our country um, and our state, which uh, really has for like, since its inception has like proposed this idea of progress and sort of inclusionary, like, stories about like liberal democracy that like are just false and do not 
really engage with colonial histories are shared. And I think the 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 moment where like these statues were being t- taken down and um, people were coming together and performing direct action, um, not only here, but like on the other sides of the country and just throughout major cities. I think like symbolically it it is speaking back to, you know, the broader story that we are a, a multicultural, like neoliberal society that that everything will be OK if we just like include black and native folks into like citizenship and and just like allowing them you know voices within like electoral politics and that's obviously you know not the not the answer because the the issue is like a structural issue yeah well sierra and what i also found interesting is how uh, the black community and also the indigenous communities can work together and have very similar issues. Uh, And I mean, this goes back to the Black Power Movement and the American Indian Movement, you know, coming about at the same time, advocating for the rights of these peoples in a settler colonial context. Uh, And, you know, I think with the the Sarah movement and the tearing down of statues, that can really be attributed to the Black Lives Matter movement that really has taken a powerful role in changing the way we think about our country. Uh, and I also know that Patea, you and Sierra were involved in uh, a renaming uh, issue here at UC Berkeley and kind of speaking about like the legacy of names and um, historical figures and such. Uh, do you want to share a little bit about what that was about? Yeah, sure. You know, Sierra and I are co-coordinators of the American Indian Graduate Student Association. And our group, together with the two other Native orgs on campus, the Native American Law Student Association and the Indigenous and Native Coalition, which is largely comprised of Native and Indigenous undergrad students, we came together to collectively write a letter in support of the unnaming of Krober Hall, which is the hall that houses the anthropology department, and it's named after Alfred Krober. And Alfred Krober has a really problematic history, you know, not only just as an anthropologist who was doing some really questionable things such as grave robbing and and collecting human remains, but also he was instrumental in having a Yaki man who never actually shared his name, but who is referred to as Ishi, which means man in the Yaki language. Krober was instrumental in having Ishi work as a living museum exhibit in the Hearst. And the campus was petitioning to have his name removed from the hall. But there was a lot of pushback from faculty within the anthropology department that ironically agreed that the name should be removed, but were very defensive of the rationale for why it was being removed. And as Native students, we really saw that as these moves towards innocence, these moves towards preserving a fictionalized benevolence of their discipline, and that it's all perpetuating this cycle of harm, this logic of white supremacy and settler colonialism that is really harmful and creates a toxic environment at UC Berkeley and on campus and that is felt in in our bodies as native students like trying to trying to get our education here. Anyway, we wrote a letter. The decisions being reviewed by a building name review committee and I think they're still pending that final decision of whether or not they will remove the names, but it's looking positive. 
I think that fits well with like, I don't know, the performative like actions that the university does, because I remember hearing about these things and I'm sure there was probably like a longer timeline of advocacy, but the fact that they were happening during like this year, um, like amidst the political sort of background, I thought that was just like very, um, uh, I don't know, just, just a move at like, institutional performativity to sort of like show that they're doing some sort of action. And the fact that like a simple renaming got pushback or what like was even a debate just signals to like how the university and like some departments like continue to operate. And like, I don't know, really hold dear these like stories and people who like symbolize for them, like progressive ideals, but at the same time, like did a lot of questionable things when they were alive. Yeah. And, you know, looking at this uh, letter that was published in the Daily Californian by uh, you know, members of AGSA, like you're saying, and then the Native American Law Student Association, one uh, piece stands out to me uh, at the end, which is saying unnaming should not be mistaken as an erasure of history, nor as an attack on the anthropology department as a whole. Instead, it should be seen as an actionable step toward the commitment this institution has made to its Native American students, the tribal communities it serves, and the Ohlone communities whose land we currently occupy and continue to benefit from. So, you know, talking about that uh, move to innocence, you know, uh, that's exactly what is being addressed here. And I really enjoyed reading this letter uh, that's here online. And um, I think it's really cool that uh, AGSA and NALSA got together to, to push this letter. So thank you both for that. That was really special. Some other really exciting news of this summer was that the Redskins name was finally removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like that, well, at least from what I, I know, I, I think that came from like the corporate pressure on the team and like the fact that it took money to sort of like guide the team's decision. To me, it wasn't any better than like, oh, if these people actually thought about um, and reflected on on the harm of that name for Native peoples and the racist ideologies and like developmentalist evolutionary thinking that that like continues to like have and resonances within like intellectual and like scholarly settings. It just shows how our society has become sort of like a hyper capitalist and and, like racist um, nation. Obviously, during the COVID time where sports and things still have like that essentialness because they, they bring in, they generate money. And also, yeah, I guess how sports sort of represent a, a kind of like spectatorship, um, but also like hold a lot of cultural meaning for like, I feel like that the everyday type of like citizens and Americans. So I think like the gesture of changing the name was is really a a good like productive step but at the same time again with the issues of renaming that we like have already expressed like don't do enough to actually engage the communities from which they like get their name from and inflict violence upon yeah sierra you know what you're speaking about really makes me think about uh you know, if you create change, but it's kind of made for the wrong reasons, uh, specifically money in this context, is that still okay? Is that good? Is that a victory? And 
I'm, I'm not sure about that. You know, uh, on one hand, it's just getting the name off of the, and their logo off of those helmets and um, apparel and everything is good to do as fast as you can. But on the other hand, you know, do they actually recognize, do they actually see how impactful this is on native communities? And I guess we could just all agree that it's a good thing that it happened. And I think it maybe started a lot of conversations that are really important as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also discrediting the labor of like Suzanne Barjo, who like really pushed the changing of the name and Amanda Blackhorse specifically, who has been pressuring the Redskins to change their name for many years. All of those efforts have been like continuously denied um, until this point. So I think here is is a great example of like the intersections of like what I guess community activism um, and sort of like large scale, just like when people are engaged in sort of like going to marches just because they do have influence and they do change people's minds. And sometimes, you know, with this example, we were able to see like sort of a successful outcome. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like it was an exciting summer of so many protests. You know, I feel like it's been a really powerful movement. And I think it's important what you're doing, Sierra, like acknowledging all the folks that have worked so long and so hard on these issues to finally be at a point where we're seeing some change. And, you know, I'm really interested in like how we can keep this momentum going to like radically re-envision the university and the university's relationship to Black folks, to Indigenous folks, to people of color, you know, collectively. I feel like now is a good time for change. And I'm excited to explore some of these intersections like more in our podcast this season. We're hoping to do an episode that's looking at Blackness and indigeneity, kind of examining some of the tensions, but also resonances and ways we can collectively work toward abolition and sovereignty. We're excited to have some of these talks this semester. And we're also, I think, going to be looking at some songs and music videos, right, Sierra? Yes, (laughs) definitely. We're going to break down some um, like YouTube videos and songs that are um, coming out during uh, this time that that can serve as a bridge to for these conversations between um, racialized groups under settler colonialism. Yeah, we're really excited. We're gonna go visit some of the lands that Alexi's tribe holds in trust. It's owned by state parks, but they they allow us to steward it, but it's owned by someone else. (laughs) Pure land, so. Yes. Yes, we're really excited to be doing this season. Stay tuned for more episodes. Like Alexi said, our first episode is going to be about fire and indigenous land stewardship as an antidote for this climate violence that we're seeing right now. So stay tuned. It's going to be a good season and we're excited to be bringing it to y'all. And obviously with uh, the ongoing shelter in place here in California, these will all be remote. And so thank you so much everyone in advance for bearing with us if our audio quality is a bit different or if the formatting is a bit different. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm really happy and excited to be working on um, this podcast and I look forward to creating new episodes. Yay, new podcast team. You can follow us on Instagram at Indigenous United, one word, underscore. 
And you can also find us on SoundCloud. And now we're on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. We want to thank Superman for letting us use his song Prayer Loop. If you like the music, please go and check him out.